0: Very small passage today, uh, Judges 1, 1, to 5. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to Simon, the Simonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We will turn and we will go with you you into yours. So the Simonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there they found Adonai Bezek, fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings, with their thumbs and big toes, cut off, have picked up scraps from under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem and also took it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. After that, the men of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country the Negev, and the western foothills. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron, formerly kill, called Kariathah, Arebah, and defeated Sheshai, Amon, and Telamai. From there, they advanced against the people living in Deber, formerly called Kariath-sephir. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter, Exka in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kariath-sephir, Athaniel, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So, Caleb gave his daughter Aska to in marriage. One day, when she came to a- Athaniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. When she got off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, do me a special favor. Since you have given me the land in the Negev, give me also springs of water. Then. Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. The descendants of Moses' father-in-law, the Kenite, went up from the city of Palms, that is Jericho, with the men of Judah to live among the people of the desert of Judah in the Negev near Arad. Then the men of Judah went with the Simonites, their brothers, and attacked the Canaanites living in Zephthah, and they totally destroyed the city. Therefore it is called Humah. The men of Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, each city with its territory. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They put, took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove it there, the three sons of Anak. The Benjamites, however, failed to dislodge the Jebusites who are living in Jerusalem. To this day the Jebusites live there with the Benjamites. Now the house of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them. When they sent out to spy up, when they sent men to spy up Bethel, formerly called Luz, the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Show us how to get into the city, and we will see that you are treated well. So he showed them And they put the city to the sword, but they spared the man and his whole family. He then went to the land of the Hittites, where he built a city and called it Luz, which is the name to this day. But Manasseh did not drive out the people of Beth-shah, or Tanakh, or Dor, or Iblem, or Megiddo, and their surrounding settlements. For the Canaanites were determined to live there in that land. When Israel had become strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Caton or Nahol, who remained in them, but they did subject them to forced labor. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Echo, or Sidon, or Halib, or Aqzib, or Hebla, or Aphek, or Rehob. And because of this, the people of Asher lived among the Canaanites' inhabitants of the land. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh, or Bethanath. But the Nephilites, too, lived there among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. And those living in Beth Shemesh and Bethanath became forced laborers for them. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the plain. And the Amorites were determined also to hold out a, a, in Mount Heres, Ajalon, and Sheblim. But when the power of the house of Joseph increased, they too were pressed into forced labor. The boundary of the Ammonites was from Scorpion Pass to Selah and beyond. The angel of the Lord went from Gagal to Bochum and said, "'I brought you out of Egypt,' And into this land that I swore to give your forefathers, I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you should break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now, therefore, I tell you that I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud, and they called this place Bochim. There they offered sacrifices to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Yeah, we're not looking at that passage. I just thought it would be funny to make Tim read it. Uh, just before we um, begin, good morning everyone, it's very nice to see you. Just before we begin, a, a reminder that uh, James and Charlie and the Ballinger family are on holiday from today, so if you need them, they won't be around. Um, please pray for them, that they would have a good break. They're away for uh, three weeks, I think, so um, uh, keep them in your prayers. Uh, secondly, I, the directories have arrived. It's always fun when the church directories come, we get to see what the new photos look like and those sorts of things. Please help yourself to one of the directories. I'm told that if everyone gave a donation of $4, we'd cover it. One of the problems of the church carrying on growing is the cost of putting the directory together is growing as well. Uh, If you can't pay, then we we still want you to have one, but if you can afford uh, the $4 or more to donate, that would really help with recouping costs. Uh, A number of us also heard this morning that uh, Jeff Robson's dad's died back in Australia. And so uh, Jeff and Liz and the family, I think, are going to be heading back to Australia on Wednesday. So please do keep the Robson family in your your prayers. And Jess O'Callaghan's going to pray for them in our prayer time in a few moments. But Jeff and Liz, our thoughts are with you all this morning. Uh, This morning is going to be, you just heard the reading that uh, Tim brought us, in in some ways I think this morning is going to be very unsatisfying because we've got a lot to do and it's a communion service, Uh, so I'm going to ask each of us to work hard individually. So if you don't get much out of today, that's your fault because you didn't work hard enough individually. We really need God's help, so let me pray and then we'll um, start thinking about the book of Judges. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the joy it is to be here together this morning. Thank you that uh, we can come together as a St. Stephen's Church family, that we can come before you in prayer. We can hear you speak to us from your word and that by your spirit you can move us, growing us in our understanding of you, deepening our love for you, Uh, being uh, more enthused to live more wholeheartedly for you. As we spend some time now thinking about this book of Judges and the chapter that uh, Tim just read to us, please help us by your spirit so that this would not just be an academic exercise, but it would draw us closer to you yourself. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how about that for a reading? Uh, Well done, Tim. Uh, It was a long passage with lots of places and names and those sorts of things. Today we're beginning a new series in the book of Judges. And after that reading, you might be thinking, why are we starting a new series in the book of Judges? It was lots of names that many of us will not be familiar with from a time and a place which is extremely different from our own, very unrelated to us. This is history, isn't it? And uh, not the good kind of history. That's interesting. This, This kind of seemed a bit boring. But actually Judges is not like that. The beginning of Judges is quite different from the rest of Judges and as we get into the rest of the book of Judges we will find a book chock full of some pretty epic stories. And in days gone by when Sunday school was part of the the culture of New Zealand and people grew up with Sunday school, lots of people knew a number of the epic stories from Judges. People would know of Samson and his great strength and the danger of getting haircuts. People would know of Gideon putting a fleece out to the Lord. They knew the brilliance of Deborah. Now they may not have known the whole book, and that brought some difficulties with trying to work out what the book's about, but they they knew the epic stories and the memorable characters. But Judges is more than that. Uh, The danger today is that we don't really have a Sunday school culture, so people don't even remember the the epic stories and the memorable uh, characters. Most people don't know anything of Judges, so this is all new. And so when you start a book with all the names that we just heard and the places and the, what do we get out of it? But this is a book worth spending time in. It's far more than just epic stories and memorable characters, And so for the rest of this year, we're going to spend most of our time in the book of Judges. We'll break every now and then and and have a couple of extra things, but um, we're going to be going through the book of Judges bit by bit. And I say that in part to warn us, to prepare us, because going through the book of Judges is going to be hard. Uh, Not hard like... Ephesians, James has just finished a a series for us on the book of Ephesians and Ephesians was hard for different reasons. Ephesians was dense, it's a, a letter, it's packed full of truths and you've got to think hard about what it's saying and how it applies to us. Judges is hard for a different reason. Judges is confronting. Judges is very black and white and stark as it presents the events that happened all those years ago in that place far, far away. There will be times, I'm sure, when it may challenge us in our idea on God, our view on God. It will challenge us on a view of a God who is love. It will unnerve us and unsettle us. That may have started this morning already. You may not have followed completely everything that was going on in the reading that Tim brought to us, but you may well have got the main thread going through the chapter, which was God ordering the Israelites to dispossess people of their land. That's very confronting when you start to think about it. Ordering them to drive out the people from that land. What are we to make of that? That's very hard on our ears and not just kind of oversensitive, very PC ears, all ears. There will be some things here which will challenge us but we're not going to shy away from it. This is why some people don't, don't go to the Old Testament or don't look at some of these passages because it's unsettling. No, God has given us these passages for our good. There will be benefit here but it may be unsettling. Maybe be hard for us to work through. The other reason it can sometimes appear hard, a book like this, is it can feel a little bit like irrelevant history. We're hearing about things that went on a long time ago and you think, didn't I finish school? Uh, didn't I get rid of history? But it's not history. The New Testament tells us how we, as people who live on this side of Jesus and the cross, should see the events of the Old Testament. And it's very instructive for us. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes and he talks about the events of Old Testament Israel and Israelites and he repeatedly says that they went through what they did as an example for us as Christians. That we are to look and see what happened to them because it instructs us, it teaches us. In fact, Paul writes, it's to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. In other words, it's a warning. As we look back and see what went on there and what they did and the the things that God did, it's a, a direct warning for us. He writes again, the things that were written down as warning to us. So this is not just history lessons. These are crucial lessons that you and I need to learn and hold on to and live out in the light of what God did and what happened all those years ago. We need this book. So, we need to get into it. There's a lot to get through today, as I was saying, and it it is communion. So, I'm going to skate. It's very superficial. It feels superficial, but this is where we rely on the Spirit to do the hard personal work in each of us. What I want to do is just three very brief things. Give a bit of an overview of the book of Judges. Kind of set it up so that this is what we're going to be looking at. This book, because some of us will know it well, but some of us won't know it at all. Then, do a bit of an overview over this particular part of it, this chapter and a few verses that Tim just read to us, because this sets up the book. And then uh, the third thing I want to do is just very quickly look at two lessons that come out of this chapter, but are also, I think, the deep main lessons of the whole book that we will go into more depth over the coming weeks. So the uh, kind of overview on the book as a whole, an overview on this particular chapter and how it sets it up, and then just a couple, we're just going to touch on the lessons that I think will last all the way through. Well, firstly then, the book of Judges. What do we know about the book of Judges? There's a lot we don't know. We don't know who the human author was or or when it was written. Uh, Some parts of it look like it was written before David, but other parts look like it was edited after the exile. So there's a, a lot we don't know there. Lots of people think Samuel may have written it. He could have. That makes some sense, but we don't know. We do know it's the seventh book in the Bible. So when you're going through the how many books in the Bible? 66. It's number seven. What are the first six? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. Well done. It's like a quiz today. (coughs) So we need to know the story before Judges picks up because it's picking up partway through the story. So where are we in the story? Well, if you remember, God has said that he's going to make promises through one person and that person's descendants that will bless the world. Who's that person? Abraham. So God's going to bless the world through Abraham and his descendants. And in the book of Genesis, we see the story of Abraham. We see his marriage and start a family. Then we see the next generation. We go. If you think of a family tree, you've got Abraham at the top, then Isaac. Isaac's the next generation. Then the next generation, Jacob. Then Jacob has 12 children, name them. Okay, Jacob has 12. So we go Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 children and each of the Israelites that come can trace their ancestry back to one of those 12. Those 12 become the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the book of Genesis is telling the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 of of Jacob and then everyone coming from that. That's important in our chapter because a lot of the names that were being used were of the tribes, the 12 tribes, when we spoke of the Simeonites, that's the tribe of Simeon. When we tra- uh, spoke of uh, Judah, that's the tribe of Judah. Uh, we'll sit we'll, we'll, Naphtali, all those. That's kind of how it works. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons. Those 12 sons end up moving to Egypt. And if you remember, <coughs> things start off well but then go badly. There's a gap of a, a few hundred years in Egypt And it goes from them having a good time in Egypt to when we pick it up in Exodus, this is a few hundred years later, the Israelites have grown into a huge number. They're they're now a nation of people, but they're enslaved. And so, as you'll know, God promises that he will save them from that slavery and take them to a promised land. He raises up a leader, Moses, and through Moses, those Israelites are brought freely out of Egypt. Remember, this is where the ten plagues happen. This is where the, uh, the Passover happens, where the crossing of the Red Sea happens. And he says that he's going to take them to a land that he's promised to give them, which creatively becomes known as the promised land. That's where they're going to go. But there are other people in that land. When they get there and they see it, there are other people, people groups, other kind of nations living in that place, and they get very nervous. And they don't trust that God will actually deliver that land to them. So they doubt him and so that generation of Israelites end up wandering in the desert for 40 years and they die out. It will be a next generation that will trust in the Lord that will get the land. So that is the story of Genesis to Deuteronomy, the first five books. It's that period of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12, it being enslaved in Egypt, coming out, wandering in the wilderness, being given the law and all those sorts of things. Then a new leader comes after Moses dies. This is Joshua. And Joshua, under Joshua, the Israelites finally take the land. So that's the sixth book. So the book of Judges comes after the book of Joshua. Joshua uh, is the Israelites getting into the land, the book of Joshua. Judges is the book of them settling in the land. Now, you can see, we can see even more clearly this period uh, in history of the Judges with the first verse and the last verse of the book of Judges. Jacob, can we have the first verse up there, chapter 1, verse 1? After the death of Joshua. Then, you won't have this if you're just reading it behind, but if you've got your Bible there, you can see the last verse. The very last verse of the book of Judges says, In these days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And you see the, the bookends of the book there? Judges starts with the death of their leader Joshua and it ends just before they start getting kings. So they've gone from having very clear leadership, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12, Moses, Joshua... Soon they're going to have the kings. They're going to have Saul, David, Solomon and so on. But Judges is the period between Joshua, the last of the great leaders, and the kings. It's that period of time. It's a period where they don't have one recognised leader. And so the book of Judges spans for about 200 years. 200 years in between the death of Joshua and the coming of the kings. So Israel are in the land without a clear leader But they don't own or possess all the land. There are still other people groups living in there. This is the group of Canaanites. Now the word Canaanites can be tricky. The land is called Canaan, so sometimes the term Canaanites refers to all the different people groups there because there are people groups like the Parasites, the Jebusites, the Edomites, the Moabites. So sometimes Canaanites refers to all of them. Sometimes Canaanites just refers to one specific grouping of them. You've got to work it out from context. But there are these other people groups living in the land alongside Israel. And that won't change until King David. So right the way, he's the only, he's the one who finally claims all the land, and Israel has it all together. So right the way through the book of Judges, there are others living in the land. Now, over the 200 years or so, this book will focus on 12 specific people. These are the people called Judges, 12 of them. And God will raise each of these 12 Judges up and they will save and lead and do something wonderful for the people of God. That's why it's called Judges. There's 12 of them. They're not all dealt with equally. So you've got a guy like Shamgar who strikes down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. That's pretty impressive. I'll say that again. He strikes down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He's one of the Shamgar's one of the judges. He's only mentioned in one verse. It's a shame. I'd like to know more about Shamgar. Whereas Gideon, he's spoken of in 100 verses. So they're not all treated equally, but there's 12 of them that God raises up over this period to lead, to save, to deliver his people. Now what happens in Judges is we see a pattern happen again and again and again. And the pattern is this. The Israelites are in the land. They're living as they should be, obediently to God. But bit by bit, because of the other people living around them and the example of the world, they start turning from God. They start taking on the values, the morals, the ethics, the standards of behavior uh, of other people. And in the end, they start worshipping other gods. And then one of the nations rises, let's say the Philistines or the Edomites, and they attack Israel. And Israel suddenly says, we're sorry, God. We're sorry, God, we, we want to stop doing that. We want to be obedient to you. God raises up one of these judges. The judge saves Israel. Things are good. The judge dies and things go back to bad. And this is a pattern that happens again and again and again in the book of Judges. We'll see it more next week when we, when we continue. But it, and, and it doesn't just happen again and again, it gets worse each time. So it's not just the same pattern happening again where they make the same mistakes, they do it worse and worse. So it's not just happening again and again, it's spiralling down and down and down as it happens again and again. So Judges is a pretty depressing book because no permanent lessons get learnt. It gets worse and worse. Now, our passage and next week's passage are the introduction. So it's very different from the epic stories of the judges that we're going to get into. But it's very important this week and next week because it's setting up the whole book. It's setting up the context and the lessons that we need to have in place. Uh, It's setting the scene. In fact, part of our passage today, as you hopefully heard, uh, as Tim read, is part of the taking of the land. That's what we've seen. So that's very briefly, and I know it's brief, and I apologise for that, that's, that's kind of an overview of the book of Judges that we will be studying. Now let's, again, forgive me for skating over it quickly, let's get into our particular passage again very quickly. To do that, we've got to remember how the book of Joshua finishes. The book of Joshua finishes on a huge high Joshua has led the Israelites into the land. They've conquered a lot of the land. And in the last chapter of Joshua, he famously challenges the people to follow God, not the ways of the people around them, not the gods of the people around them. Stay true to the Lord. Do you remember this famous scene from Joshua? Do you remember the famous words of Joshua? This is what he says to the Israelites in the last chapter of Joshua. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose this day whom you will worship, the gods of your forefathers or the gods of the Amorites in whose land we're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord and you think if Joshua had trademarked that sentence he'd be rich now because it's hung up in most christian's houses somewhere on a wall or on a plaque or because lots of christians have held on to that particular statement but Joshua doesn't stop there Joshua presses them even more he says it again who will you serve and they say we will serve the lord even that's not enough for him he says, do you know that you're witnesses today of what you've just said in public? Will you serve the Lord? They say, we will serve the Lord. And so it's, um, it goes on and on. He actually warns them, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you And make an, uh, after he's been so good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. So the book of Joshua finishes on this high. The Israelites have taken the land and they've pledged that they will serve the Lord faithfully. They won't be swayed or turned by the other people around them or anything else. They'll stay faithful. So as we pick things up in the book of Judges, we want to be thinking about, well, how are they going? How are they going and keeping to their word and sticking in this area? And what we will see is that although in this chapter there's some pretty positive things, some good things that Israel do, Certainly the tribe of Judah and Simeon working together. There's also some negative things that we're supposed to see because it's going to prepare us for the rest of the book. Uh, As I said, chapter 1, verse 1. Now, Jacob, can you keep up here? Uh, Because I'm going to go pretty quick. Joshua dies and we, we see more of the taking of the land. And it starts off pretty positively. The tribes of Judah and Simeon, remember the original Judah and Simeon were full brothers. They both had Leah as their mum, so they're pretty close. And it seems like their tribes are pretty close going on down the line. They work together. Simeon's one of the smallest, I think maybe the smallest. Judah is one of the stronger ones. Verse 3, we see them fighting the Canaanites together to run them off. Now actually, I'll pause for a moment to think about what it means about dispossessing the land. I'm not going to cover all of it here because we'll see it more and more as we go through. But as I said before, this is is stark, isn't it? This is quite confronting. God is telling the Israelites to run out people that were in the land. Now we've got to make sure that when we read this, we don't come just with our own understanding of colonialism or genocide or, or these sorts of things. The Canaanites were awful. The first five books of the Bible are very, very clear about that. In fact, back in Deuteronomy chapter 9, when God said that he was going to uh, drive out the people and give the Israelites the land, this is what he said. Listen very carefully. This is what God said in Deuteronomy 9. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, Do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought us here to take possession of the land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. And he repeats it again in Deuteronomy 9. In fact, you see it a number of times in the first five books of the Bible. This is not God just playing favorites and saying, well, I like them, so to heck with them. It's not just moving around bits on the the chessboard like the Canaanites were wicked. In the book of Leviticus it talks about some of their wickedness, some of the extreme selfishness and sexual depravity, some of the, they did child sacrifices, that's one of the examples it's spoken of. This is not good, this is the judgment of God that's coming upon them. Now the idea of a God who judges can be sometimes difficult but we're going to talk about that more as we go through the book of Judges, but this is God's righteous, perfect judgment that's coming. Uh <clears throat> Now they are also warned in these books to drive out all the Canaanites. Time and time again they said, don't let any of them stay, drive them all out. Because the danger is if they stay, they will lead you Israelites away. So that's what goes on. So at the beginning as we start Judges 1, it's fairly positive. Judah and Simeon, the tribes of Judah and Simeon, they are joined up and they're driving people out, uh, <clears throat> and they, they seem pretty successful in a lot of areas. They advance here and there. You've got that little incident with Caleb and Othniel and Aksar in verse 11, where uh, I think we're supposed to see this as a positive. Caleb wants to do what the Lord wants. He says, look, if anyone takes that particular land, you can marry my daughter. Othniel goes, I'll take that bit of land. And off he goes and does it. And then Oxa, the daughter, says, could we not just have uh, some of the land? Could we also have streams? I think the picture of this little story is saying the land is there on offering if you will follow what the Lord has said and drive them out and take the land. It's there on, on offering. But that isn't what always happens here. It starts getting more negative we start to see things are not as good as perhaps they seem. I think that odd incident where I heard a bit of murmuring as the reading happened, where um, they, they take the land of Bezek. I heard people murmur it talked about the thumbs and the toes. Uh, <clears throat> have a look at verse 5, Jacob, if we can have it there. It was there that they found Adonai Bezek. This is at Bezek. Adonai is a word meaning lord, so this is the lord of Bezek, the kind of king of that area. And they fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him, caught him, cut off his thumbs and big toes. Must be easier ways to lose weight. Now, some of this, sometimes people see this as reasonable because they say that what's going on here, do you see Adonai Bezek's words straight afterwards? He says he'd done this to 70 other kings. And he himself says, God's paying me back for what I had. And so people look at this and say, well, this is an eye for an eye. This is tooth for a tooth. It's someone getting what they've done. And there's some truth to that. But I also wonder whether this is the first sign that the Israelites are starting to act like the other nations, not like they should. Because instead of just doing what God had said and driving them out, they're now torturing like the other nations have tortured. That's exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be just obeying God and not taking on the practices of the others. Then, in one of the other little stories in there, I think your spidey sense should tingle again. Have a look at verse 23. They go to spy on an area called Bethel, formerly called Luz. That's going to be important, but they go to Bethel. They're spying on the city there to see how they can take it. And they get hold of one of the Canaanites and they say, look, if you tell us the secret entranceway to the city so that we can take it, we'll look after you afterwards. And then they do that. They take the city, they let that person and his family go, and that person and their family go within the promised land and build another city called Luz, full of Canaanites. Now that story sounds a little bit like another. Which one? Sounds a little bit like Rahab, Right? But Rahab was positive because when Rahab did things, she was doing it not just to save her own skin but because she believed in the Lord. There's nothing about that here with this person. So we're allowing more Canaanites to live in the land and they're now building cities and spidey scents should be tingling. Then it gets worse and worse. Verse, um, verse 19 is kind of the, the, the first one where we he- when we hear they don't drive them out fully. Here we're told it's because of iron chariots. But really, can iron chariots stop the Lord? They should have known that iron chariots can't stop, can't stop the Lord. They'd seen that. The, the, they knew of the plagues. They knew of the crossing of the Red Sea. We'll see in the future in the book of Judges. Deborah doesn't worry about iron chariots, but now they're not driving them all out. And this becomes the refrain through the rest of the chapter. Verse 27: the, the tribe of Manasseh doesn't drive out all the Canaanites. Verse 28, we're told Israel are very strong but they don't drive out all the Canaanites. Now they're using them for slave labour. Verse 29, the tribe of Ephraim doesn't drive them all out. They let some settle. Same in verse 30 for the tribe of Zebulun. More forced labour, more non-driving out. Same with verse 31, the tribe of Asher, not driving them all out and so on and so on. This is not good. And so at the beginning, this is why we went into chapter 2, The angel of the Lord, at the beginning of chapter 2, the angel of the Lord comes to the Israelites and rebukes them. And if you have a look at the end of verse 2, these are the key words. The angel of the Lord says, You have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Now therefore I will tell you I won't drive them out. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. And that's going to be what happens in the book of Judges. They will be a thorn in their side and their gods will be a snare to them. That's how this chapter is setting up the whole book. Now again, I've glossed over it really quickly. I'm sorry about that, but we've we've had to this morning for, for time's sake. Let me just very quickly talk about two lessons, very quickly, that come from this chapter but also I think that the main lessons that the whole book will be teaching us, and I'm only going to gloss over this because we will be hitting this again and again and again in different ways uh, over the coming months. The first one is the importance of leadership for the people of God. The importance of leadership for the people of God. Remember what I said before about the first verse and the last verse of this book? Very important, the context. From the first verse of Judges when it talks about Joshua dying to the last verse where it says, In those days Israel had no king, every man did what they saw fit. That's not supposed to be a good verse. That's a bad verse. Everyone's doing what they saw fit because there's no king. The whole book is about a lack of leadership for the people of God. And the lesson there is a vacuum of leadership in Christian circles, is not good. And as you read through the Bible, you see that. Nearly every book in the Old, not every book in the Old Testament, but it's incredible how many times it happens, starts or finishes with the death of a leader and a new stage because a big change happens as leadership occurs. The end of Genesis is what? Who dies? Joseph. The the end of Deuteronomy is Moses. The end of the beginning of Judges is Joshua. You carry on at the end of um, Samuel and 1 Kings, and it goes on and on. Why? Because the leadership of God's people is crucial. It's why in the New Testament we get passages on what you should look for in a minister, what kind of characteristics you should look for in appointing Christian leadership. But actually, although those passages are important, it's a very different lesson for you and I when it comes to Christian leadership. Because in the end, we don't have a Moses, we don't have a Joshua in the same way we don't have a king david why because we've got jesus and he's better than all of them and do you see the privilege when we look at the problems of christian of the the leadership of the people of god in the book of judges you and i can sit here in a very different place because we have jesus and we have therefore no problems of death meaning we've got to readjust or change our king defeated death our leader uh, is very different from all the, the imitations of leader. What a privilege you and I have. Although you and I will have Christian leaders that hopefully we give thanks for and who've been a blessing to us, we don't need them in the same way. doesn't matter if they die in the same way. No one needs Jay here this morning. No one ne- I was going to say no one needs bishops, and then I saw we've got a bishop-elect in the room, so I'm going to be very careful what I say. No one, no one needs bishop. We've got Jesus. We've got King Jesus. That is such a blessing. As we go through the book of Judges, we will see that the people of God struggle without godly leadership. How good are we that we have Jesus? That's, that's going to be one of the lessons that comes through. The other—that's the, the lesson of Christian leadership. The other lesson that will come through in this book is it's not about external enemies; it's about internal unfaithfulness. Think about that for a moment. It's not about external enemies. It's about internal unfaithfulness. It's possible to read the book of Judges and at a superficial level think that the real danger for the people of God is the Philistines. It's the Edomites. It's the Moabites. It's all those coming in with their swords and iron chariots to run them out of the land or defeat them physically. It's not. It's the unfaithfulness of the Israelites. That's the real danger. It's always the danger for the people of God. It's the danger for you and I. What did the Israelites do in this first chapter of Judges? They partially obeyed God. They did a lot of what God said, but not all of what God said. And partial obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. And it was because they didn't drive them fully from the land that those people groups that remained led Israel astray. And I'm sure they would have thought, if you'd spoken to the Israelites there, they would have said, well, we've done a nice thing, a merciful thing, a loving thing. We didn't drive them all the way out. We drove most of them out, but not all of them out. And we've let them live over there. And we're not copying them, yet. We're not marrying them, yet. We're not taking the same morals and ethics and values as them, yet. We're not worshipping their gods, Yet. Because in the end they would. In the end that's exactly what they would do. I haven't got time to go into it this morning but you can see how this is going to be a challenge to us, right? Because you and I live in a fallen world alongside other uh, kind of fallen people. Very easy for the people of God. The danger is not the enemy out there, it's the weakness in here. When we stop living for the Lord wholeheartedly and following him, and seeking to bring glory to him, partially obeying him, and then patting ourselves on the back instead of doing it fully for him. That's the, the danger is inside, not outside, and we're going to see that as we go through the book of Judges. It's a great book. We're going to have a great time going through this. I've got to stop. I hope that whets your appetite. Let me pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us afresh today, that these things that may seem so distant and so disconnected from us actually will be the very things that we need to learn from, that will feed our hearts and souls and change our lives. And we pray that as we spend time in this wonderful book over the the coming weeks that you may speak to us and deepen our love for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.